Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Thursday, February 6th, 2020. I'm Shannon, and I'm here tonight with Stacy and Natalia, and we are sort of returning to the roots of Book Bistro, and we are talking about dual timeline novels, because it's been like a year and a half since we've done an episode like this, and we love them. So I'm going to start off followed by Stacy, and then Natalia will finish us off before we start again. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right. So dual timeline novels are pretty much just what they sound like. They follow two characters, usually. Some, character, some dual timeline novels follow the same character in different portions of their lives, but many of them follow two characters um, from two different time periods. And sometimes they move back and forth, chapter by chapter by chapter, and sometimes they move in kind of bigger sections. So my first pick tonight is kind of a science fiction dual timeline, which is kind of rare. This is A Song for a New Day by Sarah Pinsker. And at the root of this novel, like beyond anything else that I can tell you about it, it is a love letter to music and the power that music has to unite people. So the two timelines are the before and the after. And so we don't ever really know the years that these books are set in or that the, the stories are set in. But in the before, we meet a character named Luz. And she is a musician and her career is kind of just like on the edge of taking off. Like she's created a really excellent album. Her band is fantastic and everything is really looking up for her. And then all of a sudden this sort of apocalypse happens and the world comes to a screeching halt. And in the aftermath, the government decides some things. And one of the things that the government decides is that public gatherings are now illegal. So you can't gather for anything. You can't like go to church, you can't go to concerts. There's no movie theaters anymore. People are not allowed to gather in public for fear of creating another kind of situation where many, many, many people die. So Liz's career is pretty much over. Like she can't perform in public anymore. And then in the after, we meet a woman named Rosemary. And Rosemary barely remembers the before. Like she was a child when the world kind of changed forever. And now she spends most of her time in what's called hood space. And hood space is sort of the internet, but like the internet on steroids, like the internet crossed with all kinds of virtual reality. And she works for a big corporation that allows so kind of like Amazon, but on a huge, like much huger scale. And this corporation sort of helps the internet unite people with the things that they want and need. But she hears about a different job that she's really interested in doing. And it causes her to leave home and actually start traveling in the world and meeting people and trying to bring people who are performing in illegal music venues into hood space where they can perform virtually. So Luz and Rosemary eventually cross paths. This is not a great thing for any of them, even though they, they suspect that it might be. So this is kind of a, a dystopian story, a look at the way in which the internet 
can bring us together, but also push us further apart. And as I said before, it's just a remarkable love letter to the power of music. And I enjoyed it so much. So this is A Song for a New Day. And it's by Sarah Pinsker. It came out last fall. I was just going to ask you if that came out recently, because I just did. read the synopsis for that recently. Yeah, it came out September, maybe? I love Dystopia. I'm going to have to give this one a try. Yes, it's super, super great. <clears throat> I've never read a dual timeline dystopian. That sounds super interesting. <laughs> yes, it was very, very cool. So I, one thing that I love about dual timeline novels is learning about different things in history that I didn't know much about. <clears throat> and this first novel that I'm going to talk about is, um, is actually in a country that I know, uh, uh, an area of the world, actually, that I know very little about. It's called Wildflower, Wildflower Hill by Kimberly Freeman, and she's a new-to-me author. And Wildflower Hill mainly takes place in Australia um, in the 1920s and 30s. And in the, in the 1920s and 30s era, we meet a young Scottish woman, and her name is Beattie, which is short for Beatrice. And she uh, lives in Scotland with her parents. And just before her 19th birthday, um, as she works in a club in Scotland, she becomes pregnant by her married lover. And you know, oh, in 1920, yes, in 1929, this is not looked upon with favor. And um, she and her married lover end up going to Australia to make a new start. She's been kicked out of her home and he has left his wife. And so she thinks she's off to this new life with this man with whom she's deeply in love. But things don't work out quite the way that Beattie anticipated in Australia. And so she begins um, down this path of self-discovery and learning how to be strong and resilient and not just allowing things to happen to her. And the thing that I did not know about is that uh, there's racism, or there was in the 30s, um, there was racism in Australia um, to the point where um, like a mixed race couple, that was not okay. Um, and um, what they called the Aboriginal people were viewed with um, suspicion and disdain. And um, as Beattie is becoming a stronger, more resilient woman and falling in love with a just most wonderful man, it causes um, a ripple effect that will impact her for the rest of her life. And then in 2009, we meet her granddaughter, Emma, who's a ballet dancer, very, very famous ballet dancer um, in, in London. And she uh, is injured in a fall and is unable to dance again. Oh. And basically, yes. And that's been her entire life since childhood. And it, her whole identity is wrapped up in it. And she doesn't know who she is. And so after a while, she decides to go home to Australia. And that's when she learns that her beloved grandmother, Beattie, left her a house in her will called Wildflower, Wildflower Hill. And it's a farm in the Tasmanian region of Australia. And while she travels there, Emma learns a lot about herself and learns many things about her grandmother's life that sort of changes her perspective on life and on love and how to be strong and resilient. And I love this book a lot. Um, it's, it's a longer sort of saga type book. Um, there is a lot of tragedy in it. Um, the ending is good, but if you like everything wrapped up in a neat bow like I do, um, you may be a little disappointed with the abruptness of the ending, but it certainly does not detract from the overall story arc. Um, and I really enjoyed this book and learning a little bit about um, the history and the culture of Australia in the 1920s and 30s. And again, this book is called Wildflower Hill, and the author is Kimberly Freeman, and I will be reading more by her. She just really 
knows how to paint very vivid pictures and she's just a really, really, really good writer. So pick it up if you haven't read anything by her. It's very good. I've had her on my list of authors to try for quite a long time. So I definitely need to actually pick one of these up. Yeah, she's pretty great. All right, so my first dual timeline novel is from an unlikely author because she, as far as I know, she's never written dual, dual timeline since or before. And I believe I've read all of her books. I think she's written like a book in reverse. That's the closest. But I wish people book, didn't do that. I, you know, there's a book that you read that's the, that the last chapter starts is the beginning and the beginning yes. is the end. And yes. I don't know what book it is, but I've always wanted to read it and I always forget. I don't remember now, but it makes me crazy when people do it. But anyway. Well, this story <laughs> not relevant. is not relevant to the dual timeline novel I'm talking about. But this book is called The Storyteller by Jodi Pico. And it is one of my favorite dual timeline books of all time. So this book is about a baker. I love cooking. A sage singer. And she bakes at night so i'm guessing she's baking at night and her pastries are sold during the day she's grieving because her mother just died and she's very lonely you know friendless very she's living kind of an empty existence at this point and she goes to a grief support group and there she meets an elderly man named joseph weber and they strike up a friendship even though, you know, they're different and their reasons for grief are different. Until one day, everything changes. Joseph confesses to Sage his deepest, darkest secret and the reason for his grief and depression. And the secret is, and this is not a spoiler because I knew this before reading the book myself, but the secret is that he was a Nazi in Germany and he, was, he escaped. But sage has a secret of her own it's not so much a secret but it's just something that never came up which is that her grandmother was jewish in nazi germany in a concentration camp and so now they're on opposite sides of the fence of course uh, because they, she doesn't know if they you know it doesn't necessarily mean anything in the sense that she doesn't know if her grandmother knew joseph or anything like that but he was a Nazi and she was a victim. And so not only that, but Joseph can't live with this guilt anymore. And he asks Sage to do him the favor of killing him. And she's really tempted to do it, but she's not sure if she should or if she shouldn't. So this is a really cool novel about, you know, morality, what should you do? Uh, mercy forgiveness and we get various points of view we get joseph's point of view from nazi germany we get a sage grandma point of view from nazi germany so we get both perspectives and we also get sage's perspective on present day and i just thought this story was so beautiful i mean it twisted me around so much and i highly 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 recommend it so this is this is the storyteller by Jody Picot. Read it. This sounds like an amazing book and a very tough read. So my next pick um, takes us a little bit away from war for a moment or two. Okay, so my next pick tonight takes us a little bit away from war for a moment. I'm sure we'll be back because there's lots of dual timeline books about war. But this one is about a wedding instead. So this is The Gown, a novel of the royal wedding by Jennifer Robson. Yay. And it takes place in 1947, so in post-war London. And this is like the harshest winter on record. Everyone is, you know, they haven't quite recovered from all the horrors of war. And now there's this terrible winter that has kind of like, really moored them in like depression like food is not plentiful just not a good situation and we meet a young woman named Anne and she's a seamstress and she works for this kind of 
big company that really has a lot of aspirations of being bigger than it is. And it's not always the best work environment for Anne, but she meets a young woman named Miriam who has recently started working there and the two of them become friends. But then they're chosen to work on this very secret assignment to design the wedding dress of Princess Elizabeth, who is soon to be married. So we get to see kind of everything that goes into making this dress and how how important it was that this whole thing be kept under wraps so that on the day of the wedding, the dress could be revealed and it could basically like make this big splash and sort of cheer up the downtrodden citizens of London. But then we move to 2016 and we are introduced to Anne's granddaughter who really doesn't know a lot about her grandmother's life. Like the two of them had a good relationship, but Anne never really revealed a lot about her kind of early life. So she's forced to kind of go through her grandmother's affairs when Anne passes away and she discovers this embroidered flower and she's really curious about it. So she starts going through papers and looking through like old newspaper articles and she finally realizes that her grandmother is one of the women who was responsible for making this really famous wedding dress. So we move back and forth in time and this is one of those novels where the present story it kind of pushes the story in the past forward so there's not as much of a compelling story in the present but the the past is just phenomenal um i really really loved this it's one of those books that you start reading and you're just like fully immersed almost from the beginning so this is the gown a novel of the royal wedding by jennifer robson and it came out right at the end of 2018 so it was one of the very first books i read last year this has been on my TBR for a while, and I read Jennifer Robson's World War One era novels. I can't remember what. Oh, the, there was like, like a duology. And like I can't a think trilogy, what they were the, like yeah. Moonlight Over Paris, Moonlight Over Paris, somewhere in France. Yes, and then and the something. one that takes place in post World War One era France, but I can't remember what that one's called. But yeah, she is a very compelling writer, and you can tell she's done her research into the background and the times and the like, the mores of. The, I don't know. I I really like her writing, so this one I've been wanting to read for a while. Yeah, I think you'll. So like I'm this happy you lot. talked about it. <laughs> it's so good. Are you so going Shannon, to talk about the war? I was going to say so. Shannon moved away from war, but. As much as I tried to find dual timeline novels that didn't take place um, mid 20th century, all four of mine are going to. So a couple of them do focus on World War II. And that is the case for my next read. Um, I talked about this book on an, a most anticipated episode several months ago. So I'm going to tell you now how much I loved All the Flowers in Paris by Sarah Geo. And this book was very compelling to me. Um, the, the beginning, it starts out in present day and um, Caroline wakes up in a hospital in Paris with no memory of who she is at all. She knows her name is Caroline and that's it. That's it. She has no idea anything about her life. And she goes through a bunch of rehabilitation. She knows that she was um, hit by um, a truck when she was riding her bike and that's all she knows. She remembers nothing else about her life. And so after she's released from the hospital, she goes home to her um, large sort of gloomy old apartment on the Rue Claire. And she just can't, you know, she's not happy. She just doesn't feel like she has any friends. She can't remember her life, but she seems like a very miserable person. But she keeps getting flashes of a man and a little girl. And she befriends a chef at a restaurant. And together they kind of start piecing together a little bit about her past. But as she is starting to kind of try to remember who she is and to try to figure out why she's such a reclusive, lonely bitch, she comes across some letters in her apartment that are hidden um, behind um, some a, a wall in her closet. And these letters are um, from a woman during World War II named Celine. And Celine was obviously living in her apartment during World War II. So she begins to delve into that 
to try to figure out what was going on with this woman. Celine is this lovely, wonderful woman who um, is a widow with a young daughter. And she has returned home after her husband's death and she works in her father's flower shop. And the thing about Celine and her family is that Celine's grandmother was Jewish. And even though they no longer really practice any sort of religious anything, um, it is discovered uh, in, in Paris, Nazi-occupied Paris, that they have Jewish um, ancestry. And because of that, many horrible things begin happening in Celine's family. Um, and the worst of all is that she is basically given a choice by a Nazi who is living in Paris that either she comes and stays with him um, as his mistress or um, her family will be, you know, hurt. Her, her daughter will be hurt. So <clears throat> Celine ends up going to his apartment. But what ends up happening is um, through a convoluted series of events, her young daughter ends up in the apartment too without his knowledge, without the Nazis' knowledge. And she has to hide her daughter in this apartment for months. And this book kind of relays her story while she's in captivity in this apartment. And in present day, as Caroline kind of learns more about Celine's story, um, it helps her to sort of uncover memories of her own past. And this book was just really beautifully written, very sensitively written. Um, there's some very painful, challenging things to read. And then there's some very beautiful um, passages about different types of love. And um, it was just a really, really, the character stayed with me for a very long time after I read this book. So again, this book is called All the Flowers in Paris by Sarah Gio. And it's quite wonderful. So mm -hmm. Shannon mentioned uh, in a couple of episodes back or a couple months back about Big Lies in a Small Town by Diane Chamberlain. And yes, that is a dual timeline. No, that's actually not what I'm talking about. But when I read it, I liked it so much that I went on a Diane Chamberlain craze. And I discovered this gem that I didn't know about. And I'm not sure it's so well publicized. It's not. And it's but it should a be. gem. It's called Breaking the Silence, and of course, by Diane Chamberlain. And oh my God, this book was so good. I think I read it in one sitting. And this book is about a character named Laura Brandon, whose father's dying. And right before he dies, he extrapolates a promise from his daughter to visit an elderly dying woman that she's never heard of, Sarah Tolley. Seems like a small enough sacrifice, right? You know, just do what you're father says even though it makes no sense whatsoever but her promise somehow results in another death her husband's and apparently her five-year-old she has a five-year-old daughter and her daughter witnessed her husband commit suicide and this has made the poor child stop talking you know so now this woman has all this stress her husband's dead her father's dead she has this promise she has to keep her daughter's not talking you know, what does she do? She feels very frantic. She feels really guilty. She feels terrible. So she contacts her daughter's father and her daughter's father doesn't know he had a daughter because they only met one time. It, you know, like they say, it only takes one time. So she goes and she visits this old lady and it turns out that Sarah Tolley has Alzheimer's. So she doesn't remember anything present but she remembers everything from her past and i'm talking you know 20 30 years ago and man um it's crazy how this story just solves itself right how how everything is linked in such a way that i never saw coming i love the dual timeline aspect because it's 19 you uh, united states in what shannon i think it's like 1950s 60s yeah 50s? it's like right kind of the late 50s early the 60s, late 50s I think. early 60s yeah and we we don't hear much we hear a lot about 60s 70s and 80s but not necessarily so much about the 50s right and so i really 
liked the tone, uh, the, uh, you know, the way people lived at the time and what was important to them and what they looked forward to and what was scandalous um, about that. And then we're in present day where Laura's trying to figure out her life, trying to get her daughter to talk again, uh, not understanding why she keeps going to see this lady that doesn't remember her, but remembers this wonderful story that she wants to know more of. And, you know, it was really fun to walk this journey. I, as I said, I read this in one sitting. And, uh, I mean, Justine Eyre reads it. And that didn't bother me at all. So, you know, this is a good book. <laughs> oh, I didn't read it as an audio. Um, so I, I didn't know that. Yes. But, but it, it's Breaking the Silence by Diane Chamberlain. And as I said, such a phenomenal novel and I one thing because I like Stacy love World War II everything World War II war so it's a gem for me maybe they exist and I just you know since I don't when I find books usually places where you find books will recommend books like what you have rated highly no yes so when I find a book that is dual timeline and that isn't war and that is something really cool and interesting that perhaps I didn't know about, I'm blown away. Yeah, this was a phenomenal book. I wish that more people knew about it and talked about it and loved it. So I've never read this author, but we've talked oh, about enough of her books. I know we've talked about enough of her books now. Oh, I should be fired. Yes, yes, I feel like I need to, I need to pick up one of her books and try. Yes, please do. They're so, so glorious. Okay. So my next pick is not about war. What? It's also very, very sad. Oh. It is not a Stacy Sarah Min book. Shoot. So this is The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. This came out in 2018 and is one of the most impactful, heart-wrenching books I've ever read. So this moves between Chicago in 1985 and Paris in 2014, 14 or 15. And in 1985, we follow a young man named Yale. And he works at this kind of prosperous art gallery. He's involved in a relationship that he thinks is pretty great. But AIDS is moving through the, the streets of Chicago and decimating the population of gay men. And so friend after friend after friend of Yale's succumbs to AIDS. And as the disease progresses, it moves closer and closer to Yale himself. And finally, the only person that he has left in his life is Fiona, who is the younger sister of one of Yale's good friends who recently passed away. Meanwhile, in 2015, Fiona is in France trying to make contact with her daughter who has sort of disappeared into a cult. And she really would like to bring her daughter home and make sure you know, that she's safe, but she can't really do that. So she's staying in Paris with an old friend of hers who has sort of made it his life work to chronicle the AIDS epidemic and the way it hit the world and the way in which the government did not act in a way that you know, was, was in anyone's best interests. So Fiona is sort of swept back into this time of great pain and anguish for her as she kind of relives like all of the, the heartache that she suffered. And so we move back and forth between these two times. And this is just, it's a glorious novel in so many ways, but it's also so incredibly sad. Um, just the idea that, you know, you could like talk to somebody one day and then they would be dead like the next day. Um, I was really young when the AIDS epidemic was happening. And so I knew kind of, you know, very little about it. Um, and it did not hit me in the way that it hit like so many people, like from the generation before mine. Um, 
this is a it's a hard read you know it's it's not a book that you're going to read and and feel good about but it's such an important meaningful story and the writing is lovely um the homage that Mackay is paying to the people that we lost to um this disease is just i think it's a story that really needed to be told and i'm glad that she wrote it and that so many people have picked it up. So if you haven't, um, I think you should. And it's The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. So um, back in the dark era, like the beginning, like the dark ages of Book Bistro, when we were just beginning, when I did a dual timeline episode with Shannon and Jen back in the day, yeah. I talked about a Lucinda Riley book and it was The Light Behind the Window. And I loved it so much, or um, the, what, the British is the Lavender Garden or the American, I think. I don't remember which way it goes. Anyway, but um, I loved that book so much. So um, when we talked about doing um, another dual timeline, I decided that I was going to read another Lucinda Riley because it's been a while. And there's a book that's been kind of on my radar for a while. And so the one that I chose is The Girl on the Cliff, again, by Lucinda Riley. And I chose it because it was not World War II era. So in The Girl on the Cliff, we start out in present day. And um, Gronya has returned home to Ireland. She's just gone through some pretty devastating things in New York that we only partially know about at the beginning of the book. And she runs home to Ireland to the arms of her loving family to kind of recover from some very significant pain. And while she's home, she sees a little girl on the cliffs and it looks like she's about to like leap off and she like kind of freaks out and she goes and kind of rescues her. And this little girl's name is Aurora. <clears throat> and very quickly, Grania becomes very enmeshed in Aurora's life and um, very intrigued by her. And her mother is very bitter that Grania has become so interested in Aurora and lets her know that Aurora's family and Grania's family have been sort of wrapped together by history for the last hundred years and that this relationship has been toxic. And Grania wants to know more about that because she's very, very um, intrigued by this young girl, Aurora, who's like eight years old and she just thinks she is delightful. So her mother begins telling her this story about Grania's great-grandmother, Mary, back in 1914. Um, Mary was engaged to a young farmer um, in Ireland. And just before they are to marry, their house is almost built and they're about to marry. And then um, he goes off to war. And Mary is a very strong, resilient young woman who grew up an orphan. And um, so while he's away, she decides that what she's going to do is go off and work um, for the wealthy family in the area as a maid to, to just kind of earn some money and earn her keep while he's away. Well, this sort of kind of evolves in many ways. Um, and while she's working with this family, um, and the war, you know, kind of drags on and on. World War I drags on and on. And she ends up going to London to work at the family home in London. And while there, um, she is asked if she can look after this baby who um, the, the sort of the, the head of the family brought home from his travels abroad to Russia. And basically Mary sort of becomes the mother to this child um, who has no mother and is, is sort of, they don't really know like the, none of the, the servants in this family, none of the, you know, no one really knows why this, this baby has been brought home to London. Um, but, but Mary falls very deeply in love with her. And because of this child, it kind of changes the trajectory of Mary's life. And Mary kind of goes through a lot of upheaval in her life that then when you fast forward back to Grania kind of has some parallels with, with her life. 
And through Mary's story, Grania learns more about herself and more about Aurora and why these two families are so intertwined and why they have been for the last century. And that's all I'm going to say about this book, but it, it's, it's amazing. There's some Edwardian sort of ballet um, that's discussed like during the 19, early 1920s. Like it's just, it's a really, really well done novel. Um, it's one of those sort of multi-generational family sagas um, that are very sort of heavy on drama and plot and sort of character development. And I enjoyed it immensely. So if you like books like that, I would encourage you to pick up The Girl on the Cliff by Lucinda Riley. And these books are very hard to talk about without giving away spoilers, but um, I did the best I could. <laughs> I really, really like her writing a lot. That sounds like something I want to read. I love family saga and drama and issues. So my next book is Not War. It's called The How and the Why by Cynthia Hand. It's actually a young adult dual timeline, which is cool. It's probably the first young adult dual timeline I've ever read. And it's about family and the times, tides that bind and things like that. And I love it. It's called The How and the Why by Cynthia Hand. Those of you might, might know her by her books called Unearthly. And this is completely different from that. So this is a book that begins with, Today, Melly had us writing letters to our babies. Which we could also probably use as a pop sugar best first line challenge. Oh, I, that's true. That hooked me in so much so this book is about cassandra mcmurtry she has the best parents any girl could ask for they've given her the best life she loves them she has everything she needs everything except maybe maybe there's one thing she's adopted and she doesn't know where she came from she just wants to know everything about herself and her adoptive parents cannot answer this question but it turns out that her adopt her birth mother wrote her a series of letters that she gets on her 18th birthday. And so this book goes from Cass's point of view, present day, and then the letters that her birth mother is writing to her 18 years before. And it's great because we get to learn Cass's story and the story of her birth mother. We see both perspectives. And I really love how the author made it so that everybody was relatable in this book uh, even no matter what you believe or what you think or how you feel about anything everybody seems to be relatable and i don't want to say any more because it will spoil the book it's just so hard not to spoil dual timeline because i guess what makes dual timeline so incredible is the spoiler but this is the how and the why by cynthia hand and i loved it I think Amber really likes this book as well. Either really likes this book or really likes this author. So my last pick tonight is the second novel by author Kelly Estes. Yay, is, I'm so glad you're talking about this. <laughs> yeah, so this is Sorry. Today We Go Home. Um, her first novel is The Girl Who Wrote in Silk, and I loved it so much. Um, Natalia talked about it. Oh my something. god, I love this book. Yes, I think maybe the immigration yes. episode. I can't remember. Um, but I think I talked about it immigration. Yes. Yes, yes I did. So oh my god, this so is is very different from that one, except you know, they're both dual timeline novels. But today we go home is the story of two women who are both deeply affected by war. In present day, we meet Larkin, and she is return she's returned home from time in Afghanistan. She has some pretty serious PTSD. Um, she suffered a lot of losses in Afghanistan that she's just really, really struggling to deal with. So she returns home to stay with her grandmother and try to figure out kind of what she's going to do now that her time in the service is done. Her best friend, Sarah, died in Afghanistan and sort of, before she died, asked Larkin to kind of look after her possessions. 
And so she starts going through this storage unit of Sarah's and she finds this diary and she starts to read it and she realizes it was written by a woman in the, during the time of the Civil War named Emily. And then we move back in time to the Civil War and we learn about Emily and Emily disguises herself as a man, a boy, to go off to war alongside her brother. Um, her father and her older brother died in the war, and she's determined that her remaining brother will not go to war by himself. And so she dresses up as a man and goes off to war with him. And apparently this is a thing that a lot of women did, um, like far more than we are ever really told about in our American history classes so I love watching the part of the story that's set in the past unfold and just learning like how Emily was able to pull this off. Um, but I equally loved the time we spent with Larkin kind of watching her try to come to terms with the horrors that she experienced in you know, a, a war in the present day. Um, and it's just a really remarkable story about love, about family, um, what it really means to be devoted to somebody and also the great disservice that we do to veterans, um, both historically and today. So this is Today We Go Home, and it's by Kelly Estes, and I loved it a lot. I want this book so badly. I, I actually started, <laughs> I almost, well, I started reading it forgetting that Shannon had already claimed it. And yes. so I'm like like dying to know what happens to both of these characters and like what a fascinating thing that there were actually women in the civil war era that went off to fight, you know, dressed as men. I had no right. idea. I had no That's idea. That's amazing. Was I think I'm going to read that next. Yeah. You'll After really I finish like my, my Harry Potter reread of the year. Cause I need something really good to help me with the hangover. I'm going to inevitably have after that. Yes. It's amazing. I think you'll really like it. So I saved the book for last that moved me the most. And I hope I can talk about this book without choking up like a sappity sap because <laughs> I really, really loved it so much. And I can't stop thinking about the characters. Um, and this is another new to me author. I just stumbled across this book by accident when I was like Googling like dual timeline novels um, which makes me sound like I was not prepared for this episode, but like, I was just trying to find one more thing to read. And I came across this book. It's called letters to the lost by Iona Gray. And, um, it's my understanding that this is her debut novel. Um, and her writing is just beautiful. So in the very beginning of the novel, we are in present day and a young woman named Jess is running through the streets of London. She's kicked off her shoes outside of a pub. So she's barefoot in like a short skirt and tights and it's cold and rainy. And she's running from her abusive boyfriend who is chasing her. And oh. she's pretty desperate and she's running, running, running. And um, she kind of turns down this little lane of cottages in the middle of London and finds this house by accident that seems to be abandoned. And she can hear him like running and screaming her name. And she breaks into this abandoned house. And she's like, oh my God. But in the meantime, as she's running, she hurts her ankle. So she's like, crap. So she ends up spending the night in this like abandoned house that still has all the furniture and has some like, you know, old food in the cupboards. And as she's like kind of, you know, recuperating on this old like settee, like in the downstairs, like sitting room area, a letter is dropped to the letterbox on top of a bunch of junk mail. And the letter is marked urgent. And for whatever reason, Jess decides that she really needs to open this letter. And basically what it is, it's a letter from a man who is writing to his love and knows that his time on this earth has, um, he knows that his time on this earth is growing short and he's desperate to find the love of his life. And he begs her to respond to his letter. And Jess begins kind of 
trying to find clues that are in this house that'll help her understand who this man is who wrote this beautiful letter to a woman that he loves. Um, and she knows it's from World War II era. And she continues kind of squatting in this house and finds a box of letters written from this um, Dan Rosinski to his love, Stella. And then we are swept away to England in 1943, 1942 actually, when this young woman named Stella is in the process of marrying, marrying a vicar. And she believes her life is going to be a happy one. But things don't always turn out as you plan. And Stella ends up meeting Dan Rosinski at a time when things are pretty bleak in her own life. And they fall in love and basically Jess back in um, present day is trying to figure out what happened in their love story. And oh. this book is, it's, um, there's a lot of epistolary, you know, cause there's letters that are just really beautifully written um, that kind of move the story along. There's a really, really beautiful love story that takes place. Um, it's a lot of um, self-discovery. It's, it's learning how to find your voice. It's, you know, coming from the depths of, the, of despair, from the darkest places in your soul, and finding that there's actually some good in the world after all. And this book, I don't want to give any more spoilers away, but it was one of the most beautiful things I will read for a long time. And I just think if you like historical fiction, if you like dual timeline, if you like books that kind of talk about the redemptive power of love um, and just sort of self-discovery and, and finding your voice and finding your power and finding your strength, this book is for you. So again, it's called Letters to the Lost by, by Iona Gray. And I will tell you, there's, there is a trigger warning for um, a scene with um, some rape. But besides that, I would say that this book can be read by anyone without any sort of like trigger warnings attached to it. It was really a beautiful, beautiful, bittersweet, fabulous story. Please read Yay. it. I want to Please. read it. I want to read that. Oh my and then God. I want to read her follow-up, which is The Glittering Hour. Yeah. That looks Where did you read it? I read it on Audible. Um, okay. But it's available on Kindle, too, if you like Kindle. I haven't Yay. checked Bookshare, but... Um, but the, the reader did a great job reading this book and it's like 16 hours of goodness. Like it's, it's nice and oh my God. Yeah. nice and juicy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. It might've been like 13. It was pretty long. I can't remember how long, but um, it just was not rushed and it was like perfectly paced. Everything about it was just lovely and wonderful. So, so my last book for tonight is a book that when Dole Timeline comes up, I didn't come, I didn't think of it, but then I remembered it and I seriously enjoyed this one. So this is called Leaving Haven by Kathleen McCleary. And this book is about Georgia and Alice. They're really good friends. Uh, Georgia longs for a baby. She does have one daughter that's, mm, I think, a teenager. And she wants another baby, but she's only had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And I guess at this point she's given up, but she finds herself pregnant because she gets a miraculous donation until she discovers something that makes her not want the baby anymore. And so the book oh. starts, yeah, the book starts with Georgia giving birth and literally getting up right after when no one's looking getting up and walking out of the hospital and leaving the baby oh. and everything behind and so this book explores it that's you know present day and we're going back and forth so we're going from present day to what happens to georgia where she goes what her journey is and the past what happens that is leading her to leave this baby haven the baby that oh. she desperately 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 wanted meanwhile her best friend alice has a teenage daughter a faithful husband and a perfect life but her world spins on its axis because she falls for a man who's everything she knows that she doesn't want 
and that she shouldn't want. And so we follow the lives of these two women who are really good friends and their paths are so, I guess, together and parallel at the same time. And I really loved how it went. It, you know, the timeline isn't, we're not talking 40 years behind or 20 years or even 10 years ago. It's, you know, in a matter of months, but I really love how it goes back to the beginning and then goes back to the present and goes back to the beginning. And it's really one of those novels that I was describing where you find out something from the past and then it goes back to the present and you're like, no, wait, I wasn't ready. <laughs> so, so if you're as curious as I was to know why Georgia, who was so incredibly desperate to have a baby, just abandons her baby in the hospital, you should pick up this book and read it. It's called Leaving Haven by Kathleen McCleary. And I read it not even sitting. I read it standing. I think I was cooking while I read it. And <laughs> I didn't, I just didn't stop. I think I, I served the food and I didn't stop. I was, I'm not talking to you right now. <laughs> I'll have to check this out. Yes, yes. You do. Really, so really good. good. So good. All right. So there are 12 more dual timeline novels. I will oh put goodness. a link um, in the show notes to the first dual timeline episode that we did as well. So that if you haven't heard that one, you can have 24 dual timeline novels because what could be better than that? I suppose like 50 could be better, but <laughs> we just don't have enough time to tell you about that many. Anyway, I want to thank Stacy and Natalia for sharing some of their favorite dual timeline novels. Thanks goes out as always to Christine for her fantastic editing and thanks, of course, goes out to each of you who has joined us for the Book Bistro journey. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.